Wow, you've really this is really this. bad. This is a long episode. That should be the intro part. Right here should, should be the be. intro part. I should cut this out for the intro. One, two, What's up, Calvary Cast listeners? We are episode 95. 1995, that's a good year. Do you remember it? I do remember it, not all of it, like as far as like every aspect of what I was doing in 95, but yeah, no, I remember I don't know if I actually have any distinct memories from that year. I was still in the Air Force. I won't tell you how old I was. You were probably just a little tight. I was seven. Okay, wow. So, yeah. Uh... Yeah, anyway, episode 95, and we're off to a roaring start. I am Graham, and you are Jess. This is true. See, we're stating truth already, things that are true. We only say true things on this that's podcast. That's right. That's right. How would anybody ever doubt that or question that or anything like that? I'm sure they wouldn't. I'm sure they would not as well. So but we're off to a more uh, not-so-downer start as we were last time. What were we down about last time? Well, I pretended to be down because hmm. of... Uh, uh, I was told that sometimes I'm too exuberant and exciteful. Oh, that's right. And You're you not were... supposed to be affirming me when I'm saying things, at least out loud. You're not supposed to be going, yeah, yeah. too. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> all right. That is all the banter I have, unless you have any other banter. Nope. All You're right. Good. Segment one. Check this out. Two things to check out today. Jess, lead off. Well, I'm going to sort of recommend a book, <laughs> but this won't be a book of the month, but I, if anybody is interested in reading something that will, I think, help you with your daily Bible reading, which of course I'm interested in always getting us to be in the word and on a daily basis. Uh, this is, this book is called God's Big Picture, Tracing the Storyline of the Bible by Vaughn Roberts. And the reason I like this is because it, it, uh, you know, he talks about the fact that the Bible itself is a really big book. And when people just try to dive in at different places, mm. it's hard to know what to do in those sections of the Bible. So what he shows and does a really good job of showing is how, you know, essentially the story of redemption and of the gospel, how it's traced throughout Scripture mm. so that no matter what section you're in, you can be thinking about that and make right. connections to it. Uh, the only caveat I give to that is uh, there is a, I guess, a you know, future theological distinction that we would have with the author when it concerns the nation of Israel, as our church historically has, has uh, believed and taught that God will restore the nation of Israel itself, ethnic Israel. In the day. kingdom. Right, and that... Um, that it isn't just done. Mm -hmm. So those promises will be fulfilled. He has a way of seeing that where those promises are all fulfilled in Christ. And so we not aren't to look for, aren't looking at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I disagree with that. And it's a, it's a small section in the book Mm -hmm. towards the end. And I don't think it needs to taint the entire book. It's really good. Yeah. Honestly. And to me, it was uh, encouraging and, heartwarming and stuff just to think about how God has orchestrated this salvation plan, you know, for all time, like starting all the way back in the Bible, how that all connects to his desire to be worshiped by people from all nations. Hmm. And so to me, it's exciting. I liked it. So again, God's big picture, tracing the storyline of the Bible with the one caveat that our church doesn't teach about 
the nation of Israel and its restoration in the future. Uh, we should maybe someday in the future we'll tackle. We'll do a podcast on that subject. Yeah, uh, I would say for for people that are really um, have historically been taught and spend a lot of time around that doctrine, you'd have to be afraid of people that teach something different in that realm. Yeah, because if you are, you're going to erase a large percentage of things that you can right. read, not just that are current, but from church history. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, do that. And I would, I've not read it, but any book that's going to put you, help you understand where what what you're reading fits in the whole storyline of the Bible is going to be immensely helpful. Yes. Right? Like, what is the point of the book of Leviticus or Ecclesiastes? And the beautiful part about this is it's all pointing to the person of Christ, whether mm. it's Old Testament or New Testament. Yeah. So even, you know, he brings a lot out in the life of King David. Well, who is truly the the Davidic king that mm-hmm. we're looking towards is Christ? And we see pictures of him in, you know, the the earthly literal King David and, and um, those kinds of things that I think just to me are enriching mm-hmm. and are are good to keep in mind as you're reading the Bible. This is one story about God's redemptive yeah. purposes and plans for the world. And when you see the Bible as one cohesive unit, mm-hmm. right, it just it starts to unfold in new ways. You see connections yep. that were never there before, uh, and and it doesn't seem like just a bunch of disconnected books. That's right. right? They're all connected together. And I'll say one more thing about it is it just dawned on me. Mm-hmm. As we're looking at Psalm 67 and this uh, prayer of the psalmist that the— that uh, God would bless them, the Israelites, so that through them the saving power of God would be known on earth and all people groups would come to worship God. So the purpose of the Old Testament was never about Israel exclusively. And the gospel global missions of bringing Christ to nations was not a plan B Mm. because Israel rejected their Messiah or some kind of concoction that we could come up with it. It was never a plan B. This was always the plan that through Abraham and through the Jewish people, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That was always the purpose. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit this week, this Sunday, as we're finishing up Psalm 67 in our Advent passage. So I bring that out because of... If you if you read your Old Testament just thinking it's all about Israel, right? Boy, are you missing out really on what what God is uh, was designing that whole time and what He was planning that whole. That the whole church time. is not an accident. That's right, and it's not a. Uh, I don't like the te- the the uh, the terminology that was in some of our circles. It's the parentheses now, yeah. you know, and like <laughs> almost like a plan B, yes. you know, and that whole view of that you don't see in the Bible. No. You don't no. see that right. in the Bible at all. And so um anyway yeah, that's what we need so to do a podcast on that subject at some point. Yeah, ab- so anyway. absolutely. Uh I have one thing that I'm going to recommend. It's something for you to listen to. It's a three part podcast series from Sovereign Grace Music's Sound Plus Doctrine podcast and it's on physical expressiveness in worship. We did a podcast I don't remember how long ago on that subject. And I was really helped by it. They do, they do, it's a, it's much better than our podcast on it. They d- address things about, like, questions people have, what does the Bible say, and some some encouragements. And I, I the reason I'm recommending people listen to that, and I'll be I am all actively praying that the Lord would work in our body, our church, right, and to see, like, to grow in this area. And the reason why is because I think it's biblical. And, and if you listen to the podcast, you'll be more convinced of that, I think. 
because there is just a natural like physical response. We glorify God in that way in worship. And this isn't to make us look a certain way or anything like that, but I think it's because it's biblical and because it, it reflects that our hearts, I think, are often understanding something when our faces declare it, when our hands are, you know, responding to those truths. So uh, I'm going to recommend that. So you better say what it was again. Sovereign Grace Music, Sound Plus Doctrine Podcast, three parts on physical expressiveness. I will put links to all of this in the show notes. Okay. Show notes. So I'll finally be able to do the caterpillar down the main aisle of you our can do church the services like I've been wanting to. <laughs> well, actually, our topic today kind of relates to that in a way, and they talk a lot about that. But uh, just some things to think about. And I've had other people have, have come and asked me, and they'll say, how come our church isn't more this way? Right? I've had a couple of questions in regards to that. And I think about that. And, and it, you can't—you you could guilt people into doing things for the wrong way. I don't want to do that. I want us to look at the Scripture— I don't want us to see, okay, this is what the Bible says about certain things. And, and I don't know, I'll just go listen to it. I won't reiterate everything they say. Go listen to it. I think it will be helpful. Good? Sounds good. All right. It's Tough Text Tuesday on a Wednesday. <laughs> it's our topic of the day. That's what we're calling this today. All right, great. We, uh, we've done from time to time these podcasts we call Tough Texts, and I added Tuesday because it, it works, and typically we record on Tuesday, but today is Wednesday, and the podcast always releases on Wednesday, so it's Tough Texts Tuesday on Wednesday. Say that three times fast. You just did, so that's good. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Anyway, we came across, or I came across, and it's not like a new verse that was surprising to me or anything, but this is a while back reading through my Bible. I'm in 1 Corinthians. I get to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, 33 and 34. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. And we'll talk about the rest of the passage. And I was like, that would make a fantastic podcast, because I'm sure other people have come across that verse before and thought, what? What do you mean, Paul? So we are going to try and talk about what does Paul mean in this passage? And then it's going to expand out the conversation, probably, uh, about uh, women and the church, generally, and God's design, male-female relations. It's going to be a huge podcast. It's going to be very good. I'm just going to say that right now. It's going to be exciting. Do your Trump. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge, <laughs> massive, <laughs> build the wall, make, I don't know, uh, Make church worship great again. There you go. Huge. And and women being being silent, right? It's part of that. Now this doesn't have anything to do with <laughs> Jenna should. now listening to the podcast and you're trying to assert your She's been male questioning authority. me and I that's trying to usurp my authority over the podcast. And so I said, All right, enough of this. I couldn't help but think that when you No, this was months this. ago I came up with this idea. Oh, okay. And <clears throat> right, see, good. it's on my board, my marker board first podcast i wrote that like months ago oh yeah look at that so huh good okay well let's talk about it i guess okay so first corinthians 4 should i read this passage uh starting like in verse 26 yeah go ahead or should we just summarize it well you could summarize why don't okay. you summarize what's going on so first corinthians of course is a letter written to a really dysfunctional church yes right? number of issues going on and as you get to chapter 14 so leading up to it right in chapter um 11 He's dealing with the gathering and talking about uh, praying 
in the church gathering, men having their heads uncovered and women covered and things like that. And then he gets into the Lord's Supper. And then chapter 12, of course, all these distortions. Well, chapter 12 and 13, distortions about the usage of spiritual gifts and the desires for the showy gifts. And of course, then chapter 13, he's saying, hey, uh, love is the preeminent thing here. And then he gets to chapter 14. He has all this talk about prophecy and tongues because, of course, the church really wants to be able to speak in tongues. And, of course, Paul says, well, I'd rather prophesy uh, because the whole point is edification. So we're going to not talk about prophecy in tongues today. That also is another podcast for the future. Um, but what I'll, uh, in verse 26, really, he starts to drive home this point that the issue is about orderly worship and building one another up. So I'm going to read verse 26. He says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Then here's the key point. Let all things be done for building up. Right? And then he goes on to talk about how, what this should look like. And it's describing when you have uh, prophecy, you know, you need to have interpreters. Some people need to be silent. Right? Others need to be silent when one is when one is talking. Uh, and of course, then this leads to verse 33, the whole point of orderliness in the church gathering. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And then he gives this instruction, which almost seems like a, an, an add-on, or an, not an addendum, but he's just saying, here's another point in regards to just the church gathering, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. So there's something going on here about orderliness in worship, and there's something about women speaking in the church service in a way that does not fit with that. And as he goes on to say in verse 34, that it is against God's design. Would that be a summary? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yep. And for that with the, yeah, you're right, putting it under the heading of all things being done for building up. That's the context right. of all. Your gifting's not for you. All right, but not exclusively for you, but for the church and right. for the edification of everybody. And that there's order that needs to be, not confusion and peace, mm-hmm. and everybody just doesn't come, and it's not a free-for-all, and and uh, all of those things. So, yeah, and then in part of that order or that design is the role of women and men in the corporate worship. Right, and I think that's what he's talking about in this passage, right? I, I don't think, so think he's talking about a small group gathering or something like that. I think he's talk, he talks about when you come together, right? He's talking about, it seems like, uh, he says, well, in verse 33, as in all the churches of the saints, in verse 34, they should keep silent in the churches. I think he's talking, he, you know, that's the ecclesia, the gathering of mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. So I think this would be reflective of what we do on a Sunday morning. Yeah, right. I would think so, yeah. And, well, in the context, even go back to chapter 11, Lord's Supper, the love feasts, things yeah. like that. That's and all this. Then they were, remember, they were just receiving new prophecy. We have the whole New Testament right. completed. They're receiving these things. Right. There has to be some kind of, and the speaking in tongues, which were actual tongues that could be interpreted by somebody else with the gift of interpretation, so that this is coming from God and everybody's being edified. Right. So... um he needs to then address, well, he does address the idea of women keeping silent in the churches. The question is what, like, what what does that mean? What right? does that mean? What the, what makes that tough, in part for us, is culturally speaking, we look at that and we may think, wow, that's really demeaning to women, mm-hmm. right? That's a problem. Or um, it seems to imply that 
you know, women don't have anything profitable to contribute and, and all those things that we, especially culturally now, right? this is more of a big deal than yes. it would have been, you know, 200 years ago. It doesn't fit our cultural sensibilities. Right. Right. And I will also add this too, because I think it, it, even amongst Christians, right, sometimes this is often an argument against uh, God's design and submission and all of these different things they say. They've seen it modeled I'm using scare quotes, mm-hmm. uh, poorly. People use the language of submission or complementarianism, whatever that is, yeah. and then they don't follow the Bible's structure, mm-hmm. right? And so they're like, well, then we just need to throw all this out. Yeah, as a matter of fact, what Paul's writing here, in some modern contexts of the church, they would consider this language abusive in and of itself. Yeah. Right? Right, yeah. They would consider this kind of language abusive and, and demeaning to women. Um, so let let me just say this first of all, like there's two there's two statements he makes here that will help us understand this because we're going to connect it to another passage yes. that more fully <clears throat> bronzes out because he yep. this this text raises a lot of questions. That's what makes it a problematic text, right? And he doesn't answer the questions. No. So, <laughs> so what we need to do then is use the rest of Scripture to right. to kind of lay that out, which right. we can do. Right. But when he's talking about keeping silent, he can't mean just absolutely quiet, right. like they can't speak or make right. any noise. Right. Because back in chapter 11, right, he talks about uh, every wife or woman, verse 5, yep. who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Right. So, and, and we would take that to probably in the church context. Yes. Right. So I mean, her husband's there, but she's got to wear the head covering yes. that will symbolize that authority yes. that she's under her husband. Because even there, he's concerned about or, structure. Mm-hmm. God is the head of Christ and Christ is the, the head, head of, of the church. church and those kinds of things. And the and the husband is the head of the wife. Right. You know, there's a, there is God-given authority structure. Right. But silent then can't mean nothing. Nope. And we know Mute. in the New Testament that there were, there were female prophets mm-hmm. and those that could speak in tongues and different things. So we, we're not going to eliminate all speaking or like when they come into church, they shouldn't be singing right. Right. or even could read a scripture right. or... You know, things like that. So in verse 35, it actually confounds it even more, right? If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church, right? So there he's adding this element of asking questions. Right. And and so it's it's not that women shouldn't ask questions in general. I think if to summarize, I think kind of what he's getting at is that there is a way, though, of speaking or interacting, and this is... I don't know, maybe more specific, not in our context per se, because of the way we structure our services. I put it that way, where mm-hmm. we're not interacting. Right. We don't have people standing up and giving prophecies or revelations or things like that. Right. But what he's saying is there's a way of questioning, there's a way of interrupting the service, I think, yeah. in a way that is not reflecting God's design. Yes. Is that and, and there could have been problems going on. Right. Right. So we can we can assume that behind the scenes there were problems going on. Right. With with some of the women in the church right. being maybe argumentative, yes. it's not just raising your hand and saying, "Hey, I have a question about <laughs> such and such. Can no. you teach me that?" It's more questioning what's being taught. Taught, yes. Maybe which, getting belligerent in the church, yeah, service. which is kind of out of line right. with what what they should what should be happening really from anybody. Right. I think in the context of corporate worship, yes. but also well, especially from the women that could have been 
the, mostly the problem in, in Corinth. And even if you look like at verse 34, you know, so he's saying women should keep silent. But he doesn't limit that because back in verse 26, he says, if there's no one to interpret, keep silent. Right. Right. So he said this all contributes to orderliness. And then even in verse 35, when he says it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Well, we know it's not shameful for them to speak all the time because back in chapter 11, they can pray and prophesy. Mm-hmm. But he's saying there's something about this way of speaking, this argumentative, right. belligerent way of speaking yeah. that is shameful. And by that, he means it's not bringing honor to God's design. Yeah. And we got to remember the context of 1 Corinthians as a whole is they got all sorts of problems. Yeah. Everything's going awry. So him even pulling this up and saying, especially adding this idea, if they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, is implying, I think, safely mm. for us that there was an issue here. Yeah. And he's addressing it specifically. Right. Because they've written to him asking him all these questions. Right. So he's responding to their questions and what he knows about the church particularly. And so for the ladies of Calvary, right, they shouldn't read this passage and think like, well, I can't pray in church or read a passage of scripture or talk, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or in a small group setting, like mm-hmm. for our, that'd probably be more appropriate or closely related yeah. to what's going on here, right? I can't ask a question in a small group. I'm speaking and that's shameful. No, I don't think that's what he's talking about there. No. And I think what happened over, <clears throat> over the course of church history and time is that the the worship services became more and more organized, mm-hmm. structured, orderly. Yes. And so we don't have dialogue. Right. Rarely in right. a in a especially as the churches grew, this would be more and more necessary than right. when the church was, you know, a dozen people in somebody's living room. Right. In its infant stage. It's yeah. Yeah. And and that's you know, and that would be a whole nother discussion in and of itself, but there's a reason that our services is structured the way that it is. And there's a reason we don't interact. And yeah, some people have problems with that, but not in our church, but I'm just saying there are people that have different views on that outside of our circles in a sense. Sure. Um, yeah. But one thing he says here, I think that we'll, we'll maybe we should head over Move to over. the other, because he says, um, uh, where does he put this? Oh, in, um, in the end of verse 33, as in all the churches of the saints. Mm-hmm. And then the other key word is uh, at the end of 34, as the law also says. Right. So the reason that's instructive because <clears throat> this isn't something Paul was only teaching to the church in Corinth. Mm-hmm. Because some people who will allow, let's say, a woman to become a preaching teacher for yes. Sunday morning will say, this was only contextual for Corinth or whatever. He's saying, no, this is what I've said in all the churches. So it doesn't just apply to you, Corinth. This is everybody. And the reason he's he's getting at this is because this is what the law says. And we have to figure out what he means by that. Right. So if we look at 1 Timothy 2, I think that's where we can have that answered. Yep. Uh, he says, and this is a context of a worship service too, all of it, I think, when they're gathered together. But in verse 8, he says, I desire then that every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger, quarreling. Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls and costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And then he says this in verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. We'll come back to this, but I think that statement right there is the main driver is what he's getting mm-hmm. at. 
both in chapter 14 and here. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And then, remember when he says, as the law also says? Yep. This is what he's talking about here. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So he's going all the way back in the law, in the Pentateuch, to Genesis, and showing that what he's commanding in the churches now in proper order and authority and who should teach and who isn't is rooted in God's creative design Right, way back in the law. This is what the law teaches about men and women. Right. That's why we can't accept the argument that is out there now in, in, in churches that would establish female elders, female teachers, pastors over men. And they, they will say the argument goes something to this effect that this was all contextual just for that time. They were having problems, but now it's not the same. So it doesn't apply to all of us. So Paul roots his argument for this in the law itself. In creation. And in creation. And that's where like people say, well, you can't find that law written in Israel's history. Right. Because it's a law of nature. Right. And when it when Paul says the law, he's not always referring right. to the do's and don'ts. Right. They referred to the All, Pentateuch as the right. law, the whole thing, even the narrative sections. And sometimes they would just refer to the whole testament essentially yes. as law. Right. Yes. I mean that it wasn't that uh the the word Torah means instruction right. from the Lord. And that comes through commands and prohibitions, but it also comes through uh Narrative sections. We learn from it. It's his instruction, you know. So, um, but anyway, in this passage, I think what he's saying, first of all, in verse 11, um, when he says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, it's a word for uh, disciple. In other words, let her be discipled. Mm. And we think about that immediately when what strikes us about that verse is almost seems demeaning. Right. Well, let her learn with all submissiveness. But actually, this was very elevating of women hmm. in Paul's day. What he's saying is, um, do not forbid that. They are disciples. Hmm. They should be being discipled. Hmm. Yes, in a certain way that befits the role of a woman God has established from the beginning. There's a submissiveness under yeah. the authority of male leadership. But she's to be discipled. That's the way they would have read this, right. right? It it wasn't a demeaning way. It was actually an elevating way. It was interesting. I once read uh, from a scholar who was talking about Mary and Martha, the story of mm-hmm. Mary and Martha. And, of course, Martha was busy in the kitchen, and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. And when we as Americans read that, we're reading it and we're thinking— Mary was kind of the dreamer, you know, just <laughs> gazing at Jesus and that. And, and Martha's busy doing work, and and we kind of apply it in that way. But he was making this case, and I I think it's a I think that makes sense. It's a valid case that the first century reader would have read that and saw Mary in the position of a disciple hmm. at the feet of the rabbi, mm-hmm. and. The, she had no business there. She yeah. should have been out making the meals and mm. doing whatever, getting everything ready. That that was reserved for men. Mm. We're the disciples under the rabbi. Yeah, and so that is actually elevating the the status of women. And this is what the New Testament has done repeatedly. Jesus did it. The first uh, people to see the resurrected Christ were women. Be yeah. his witnesses. That, this is right. all unheard of. Yes. And so women were put on the same level. Peter talks about them being co-heirs of the grace of God. And and so none of this was read in the original 
context and readers to be demeaning at all. It was yeah. all elevating. Okay. And that's, you know, that's one of the things where people, and this is a little rabbit trail, but they look and they say, oh, the Bible is antiquarian and it's placing women under a boot. No, it's liberating. It right. is the most liberating things for women. Yep. I mean, Jesus, yeah, totally flips the cultural notions on their head in many ways. And, and what he's doing is he's, again, by placing it in God's design, we flourish when we live according to God's design. And he's saying, this is how that can happen. And that's, that's right. the best thing for men. It's the best thing for women. Yeah, and all the way back from the beginning, God created, you know, it says God, uh, Genesis one twenty seven. so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. So yeah. right from the very beginning, women were never inferior to men. This was never the point. Right. Uh, so at any rate, um, verse 12 then, First Timothy 2, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Uh, that word quiet, interestingly enough, was already used up in verse uh, uh, verse 2. We're supposed mm-hmm. to pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Mm-hmm. So that word quiet doesn't necessarily mean absolutely silent, you know, silent or whatever. And uh, now, uh, but yet that, but that there's a submissiveness. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. To the, to the created structure that God has given of male leadership uh, to, over the church and over, over women. And so he's making a clear uh, prohibition here, right? We could consider this law. Yeah. This isn't a suggestion. He says, I do not permit this to happen. A woman cannot teach or to exercise authority over man. And the reason is rooted in verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Okay, that's the first step. Right. If we look back at the law, we look at how God has created things. He wants order and structure. And one of the ways he created order and structure is, yes, he created men and women equally as human beings in his sight. And yet distinctively as male and female, equally created in his image, and yet with distinct role and function. That's clearly what he's saying here and so many other places in the Bible is that glorious way in which God chose to create humanity and um, the woman to be in that position of submissiveness, especially under her husband. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. clear in Ephesians five. There's no getting around it. First Peter three, there's no getting around it. I mean, this is the way God has done it and it's rooted all the way back in that. And he said, he talks about the fact that Adam, verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And what that, you, you know, that isn't implying that women are inferior. No. But that there may be um, tendencies to the nature of women that would require that God has designed that the best solution, mm. could you say that, or mm-hmm. the best structure for them is to be led. Mm. And he, he brings it back to, he says, look at this. Yet Adam and Eve created equally and yet distinctly in role and function. Mm-hmm. And and look what happens when men do not lead the way they're supposed to. Mm. Look what happened. Uh, the woman was deceived, yeah. and everything fell apart from there. 
because Adam didn't fulfill his role, right. and she didn't fulfill her role. And that's why, well, Adam is the one that's held accountable for Eve's sin. That's right. Right? Like, in Adam, we all died. That's right. Eve is never, the blame is right. never put on her. It's always Adam. Right. It was the responsibility. Which is, again, like a good comeback to those who'd be like, oh, this is repressive, and no, it's not. No. It's actually, it's it's elevating to women, but it's also honoring you know, the the God-designed things for us, limitations, mm-hmm. submissiveness. And, you know, if you think about it, even in Christmas season, we if you, have, if you struggle with this idea of a woman being submissive, mm. you think about it, your, your Lord was submissive. Mm-hmm. Here was the eternal Son of God, became a man, and lived in submission, in dependency, mm. Uh, you know, as an infant, he had to be cared for. He was a human being. He had to be fed. If his parents wouldn't have fed him or left him out in the elements or whatever, yeah. he was he needed to be cared for. There was a there was a submission in that, and just to the way God has designed him as a man, he honored his mother and father. We know we 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 know he would do that, and honored those in authority all the way through. Yeah, and here's the one that was the creator of the universe. Yeah. And yet living a submissive life. That's right. So there's nothing inherently bad about submission. It's actually good, and we see it in the incarnate Christ mm. as an example. And um, but when we, I think what the key is though is we need to, you know, if we if we think about what the psalmist says says, you know, about delighting in the law of God. That goes with things like this. When you see how God has created man and woman, complementary to one another, mm-hmm. and you see how he's created marriage with the husband to lead and care for his wife right. and her to be a helper to him, and you see how he structured the church with male leadership to represent that and, and the way in which women are to learn and such, so on and so forth. There should be what we need to pray for is not a not a heart that kind of balks at that or like recoils at that or doesn't like it, but a heart that says, Oh, how I love thy law. Yeah. You know, this is the way you've done this is good and right, mm-hmm. and I submit to my role in this. I right. submit to my where what you have for me and who you've created to me to be, whether it be a man or a woman. And for men, that means there needs to be roles of leadership taken in the home and in the church. And for a woman that there, there are their roles for women and the, and that, and the, but one of them is not to be an elder or pastor over church or teaching or having authority over men. It's Mm -hmm. a, Paul says it's a shame that this would happen. Right. You know, it's what you're talking about is, is we take this by faith and we believe that this truly is the best thing. Right. Like we, like you said, we love God's word and we say, God's word truly is the best thing, even though it kind of offends our cultural sensibilities. Yes. I think that's oftentimes where it falls apart, you know, yeah. and, and people put their experiences over this, bad experiences, you know, or whatever, and what our culture thinks and say, well, this just can't be. Yep. And you just got to go, no, that's, I believe God's word more than I believe my perception, yeah. my cultural perception, things like that. And this is really where we have to determine, is the Bible going to be authoritative over us or not? Right. Is it going to be authoritative over his culture? Yes. Well, Bible has the authority. Mm-hmm. It is to shape us. We are to submit ourselves under it. And 
not just unwillingly, but willingly Mm -hmm. and lovingly and freely accepting what God has put into place. And um, this is where the rubber meets the road, even in a church like ours. And I think it coming up in the future, you know, in the decades to come, we could become a very, uh, a church with a very, you know, uh, different view on this where other churches are more and more denominations are more and more willing to ordain women to public ministries. So a couple of questions or applications. And I think as I think about this and I think about first Corinthians 14 and especially that question in verse 30 or the statement in verse 35, where he says, you know, women should ask their husbands at home, that kind of question. I really think that there's questions here or statements or encouragements to husbands and fathers. I think that's the one of the exhortations here, uh, that there needs to be a growing level of maturity and godliness and leadership in your home that's going to redound over to the church as well. So I think if anything, this is an exhortation in that way to husbands and fathers to be godly, biblical men leading as Christ leads so that your home life, the church life functions this way, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's a that's a big thing. Um, somebody made recently a statement. Uh, this was uh, it happened to them years ago or whatever. They were young believers. Their wife asked them the question like it was a basic question. Like I don't have a, I don't have a clue. And they were determined never to let that happen again. They're like I got to be in the Word so I can lead my wife and I can answer these basic questions. Right. Right. I think there's some truth to that. Some, oh, I think some so Validity. Too. Absolutely. The other question that came to my mind. And maybe somebody's listening to this and thinking about this. And again, this goes to the first Corinthians 1435, ask a question, things like that. Or, you know, uh, but it'd be something along the lines of this. What does this mean for the single lady or the widow or the fatherless who doesn't have this leadership in her life? Hmm. Right. Um, And so here's, here's my answer. And then you can give me anything else. But I think that, um, uh, a single lady, a widow, uh, a lady who's fatherless, doesn't have this kind of relationship in her life. One, she's she's desiring to live in this category. Submissive is God's design, understanding roles and things like that. Um, but I also think the, the the scriptures are very clear about how the church is to care for those mm-hmm. widows, mm-hmm. orphans, things like that. And so there's physical care, right? Paul talks about that in his letters to Timothy. Uh, but I think that all there's also a spiritual care that would imply as well. So I think like as elder pastors, are we not to fill some of that role to a degree of spiritual leadership and helping in that way? Yeah, I think so. It's a good case for being a part of a church with a pastor or pastors mm-hmm. that are accessible. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, that, that you see that in first Timothy five, that when a woman becomes a widow, the church steps in yeah and helps right and that would be a way that would happen sure so i don't know those are just a couple of things that were kind of applications or conclusions in my mind as far as that's good any other things you have to say we better just i'll just put this out there for the end of that last verse uh that's really tricky for verse 15 which honestly could be a Oh, it's second, first Timothy 2.15? Yeah, yeah, 15 could be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yes, she will be saved through childbirth if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Is there a more 
challenging verse I know. in the whole of the Bible than that one. I maybe. know, and there are a number. Like if you open that up in a commentary, a good commentary, yeah. they'll give you like six or seven right. uh, options yeah. to choose from. But I think one of the main things is I think that's pointing back to the gospel, mm. which is uh, the first time the gospel was presented was to them that Eve would uh, mm. essentially bear a son. Yeah. It's through so childbirth that they would be 15. saved. They fall into sin. They become sinners, alienated from God, but it's through childbirth that they would, that women and men would be saved. Mm. And, um, and throughout the uh, centuries, then as more children were born and Israel, you know, came to be, and then, you know, all the way up to what Christmas, right? Where the savior has come. And it's faith in him, of mm. course, and um, that brings that salvation. Though there could be some other applica- implications of that, I think that's the number one. It's hinting okay. back again to that uh, proto... Proto-evangelium. Uh, evangelium, yeah, the first gospel mm-hmm. there, and the idea that what a what a thing for a gift for that through women yeah. um, is uh, that idea of your taking place in these, this saving work. And I was even thinking about, I thought about this before as I, when I looked at this text, the idea that even now, you know, when you're giving birth to a child, the child is an eternal soul mm. and Lord willing will be called into his, his kingdom one day and saved. And this is how the church is built and that mm. there's much design in childbirth and, mm. um, and so there's some things like that, but I just didn't want to leave it completely hanging, hanging out there yeah. and so confuse people. But, you know, you can feel free to look that up yourself and do a little study on your own, see if what you can, what you can find out. That's what I feel enlightened after you gave such a wonderful explanation oh, wow. of verse 15. Well, heavenly heavenly yeah. choirs. We need up. to put that in at the end of all of my sermons. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I conclude, <laughs> and a light shines down on you and illuminates you, and yeah, yeah right. Let's not. Let's not do that. Well, we hope this conversation has been helpful for you and encourages you to think and study the scriptures more diligently. We love to hear from our listeners, so you can reach out to us a number of ways. If you're part of our church, you can talk to us. You can send us a text message or you can give us a phone call. If you're outside of our church, send us an email at thecalvarycast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from our listeners, get feedback as well as ideas for future podcasts. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the Great Commission. Until next time.